Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. We're honest before God. He's ready to meet us, take us, step by step. Well, we're almost done with our journey, the Calvary Road. It's not the easiest one. It isn't. It's somewhat painful, but it has a reward, a tremendous reward, one that is much bigger than I think that we can even fathom as we're going through it. But we're talking about the pathway to becoming a fruitful Christian, and we've gone through several topics. And today we're in part five. Next week we'll finish up. But today we're in part five called testing. That's our next step. We've needed brokenness. We've needed submission. We've needed unity, as we talked about last week, which I thought was amazingly prophetic for our times. And then t- today we're going to talk about testing. As we've been prepared, it's before kind of that, that finally coming into what God has created us to do, there's a time of testing, testing our heart. We've made choices. We've humbled ourselves. We've, uh, we've fallen on the rock, who is our Savior, We've allowed him to come in and we've surrendered. Your will, not my will, be done in my life. Then it's time for that to be tested. Jesus said, he called the crowd and he said, if if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We can't just say it. And we can do that. And we as Christians, we have found a way to be Christian, quote unquote, without actually getting on that trail. It's easier to say these things, to be, to quote the words of Christ, but to walk in them is another thing entirely, isn't it? I think we're finding that these days. Jesus went through his own testing. If you look in Mark 14, 32 through 38, we'll see just what he endured. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Of course, these are the three men that he was closest to. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus is going through his own time of testing. He realizes with utter detail what it is that he is going to have to go through. He has read the book of Isaiah. He knows what has been written about him and the prophets. He knows what he's going to have to suffer. And so the human part of him, as he's walking away to do what he's always done, probably several times a day, his legs give out. He falls to the ground. He's overwhelmed by the reality of what is coming. So many things are tested all at the same time, but certainly his resolve to obey the Father was tested most of all. 
And that comes out in his prayer by saying, Father, is there any other way? And if we could kind of walk through that, is there any other way that I can grow without having to endure this pain? Is there any other way that I can be matured in my faith without, without having to go through this cross experience? To have to suffer and give my life. And, not, and again, not suffering that didn't have any meaning, but suffer that was full of meaning. More meaning than we could ever, you know, any one of us ever imagine. Scripture says that it was the joy that was set before him that he scorned the cross, endured its shame. Right now, he's not feeling any joy. Right now, he's faced with the testing that is going to purify and prepare him for what he was going to endure, his purpose, his purpose in life. And we all have one. We're all going to be tested in similar ways. There's three groups of disciples that follow this event. Jesus, of course, we know the story and, and won't go through that in detail, but we know the story that Jesus, then the hour came and Judas, his plan is, it comes to fruition. He brings the soldiers and he's taken away. And at that moment, Jesus went from his suffering. These guys are just sleeping like, hey, man, we don't know what's going on, but it's going to be okay, Jesus. And then, you know, to sleep they go. But now they're thrust into it because the soldiers show up and now they go from being tolerated followers to criminals within a moment. And we know that from the different parts of the gospel, there's a little bit of a scuffle. There's, there's actually some violence that takes place. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't do that. Heals the man's ear whose ear is lopped off apparently. And, you know, just incredible events taking place in a short period of time. So these guys are, are now, these men are put in a situation where they've got to make decisions. Their families, they've got to think about what are they going to do. And so they begin to parse. They begin to, you begin to see that the testing is, takes off immediately. And you see the first bunch, they flee in fear immediately. I mean, when the testing comes, they run. They run from it. Can't blame them. I mean, you see soldiers, Roman soldiers, soldiers they feared all of their life, and they knew what was going to happen to them if they were criminals. I mean, it always involved suffering, beating at least, and then in some cases, you know, being crucified publicly. So they run. And they're unnamed disciples. We don't know who all we know who it wasn't. And then you have Peter, who follows in fear, and John, who both are going along, but Peter is kind of in the shadows because he's like, look, he, he knew his own words were coming back to, to haunt him. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you, Jesus, no matter what. We're, gonna, we're with you to the end. And Jesus, you know, is like, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. You know, or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's it. And so Peter who knows whether those words are haunted, but it, even if haunting him, but even if he was going through that, you know, he's in this place where he's just saying, you know, I'm going to, I've got to go. I've got to push through. I'm not going to let that come true. I'm going to push through. So there's that group who say, you know what? I'm going to endure just through pure pride, pure, I'm just going to prove him wrong, that I can stand strong. And then there's John. You don't hear a lot about John. You have to, it's kind of like, it's the negative uh, impression of the photograph. 
because everything else is, you know what everybody else is doing, but you don't, you don't hear much about John, but you hear, he gives incredible detail. He's the only one there who sees Jesus being beaten and bruised in front of the Sanhedrin. He's there. John followed him to the very bitter end, not knowing what's going to happen. So John is just like, I'm with you, Lord. What you go through, I go through. But there's no record of him actually suffering, being beaten. It's almost like if I could just fill in what we, what we can't prove biblically, but that they're just like you, sit down and shut up. Are you one of his followers? Just sit there, just be quiet. Who knows, maybe they knew who John was. Maybe it was just the mighty grace of God that was about, which I, I particularly subscribe to. I think there was such an amazing grace. I mean, to me, I, may I have a little fun here? Jesus is enduring this, and he sees John. And under his breath, he says, Father, not him. Not now. Don't let it happen. And there's just this bubble of favor with this guy who's sitting there watching all this, witnessing all this, because of why he was willing to suffer. He was willing to embrace what was going on. He kind of represents a whole different kind of Christian. To say, I'm going through, I don't care. I mean, I'm a believer. I'm, I, I mean, you know, I know where I'm going. I believe what Jesus said with utter, complete simplicity and faith. And John is just like, well, you're going? I'm going with you. Peter's like, I don't know. And then others just scatter. So when times of testing, those are the kind of three different things that can happen to our heart. It's a refiner's fire. Testing is a refiner's fire. And what is the refiner's fire? Well, it's the heat. It's where you take the gold in its rough state and you put it into the fire and you begin to heat it, heat it, heat it, and then the dross comes to the top. The, the minerals, the, the things that are not gold come to the surface and they're scraped away and it's heated even more and the dross comes up and you scrape it away and it's the heat that comes into our life. The truth, the reality, the downright I mean, this is exactly what happens to every one of our hearts. We will not become refined in our faith until it's been tested under heat, under fire, under persecution, accusation, until times of real darkness does it come to the surface. Are we ones who easily flee and run? Are we the ones who, who, who stay close by but in the end we run away from our beliefs. When the pressure's on at college, when the pressure's on in school, when the pressure's on at work, when, it's, when, when you're, you're sorting through all the different things that are going on in our culture, are you one who just follows behind in fear? Or you say, you know what? I'm a believer. In Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto everyone who believes. For us, it's the testing, it's the purifying of our heart is going to take place. We're on this Calvary road and we're growing and we're you're yielding and we're, we're laying down our lives and we're, we're saying, you're not my will but yours, Lord, in every area of my life and in my thought life and my actions and the, the, the people that I befriend and the choices I make with my money and the choices I make with my time. Lord, I just surrender it. Sometimes it just feels like I'm going against a tidal wave of my own selfishness, a tidal wave of what is expected of me. But it's a testing. And what comes to the surface is our own selfishness, 
our own lack of willingness to follow Jesus to the very end, to pick up our cross and to follow him. We can all say it, but are we willing to do it? Specifically, we're tested in five different areas. And I'm going to go through them quickly here. Number one, we're tested in our worship. Is Jesus really Lord? Is he really Lord? In Luke 8, 13, it says, Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. And they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. That word of God is placed in our heart, and, it, it, and, and we fertilize it through worship. And matter of fact, it's worship that really, that's why we sing, that's what we do, because I, I don't know if you realize what we're doing is we're softening, softening ourselves up. We're breaking through the crust, the hardness that is gathered up upon us. We get in the presence of God, and then we just, we go limp. Our, 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 our resistance to the work of God begins to wane, and it prepares us to be able to hear the word so that it goes on soil that is fertile and ready and plowed up. But if our heart remains hardened, then that seed just falls on a, on a, on a part of the soil, whether it be a rock or just a, a soil that is not ready to receive the seed. It's, the enemy comes and snatches it up immediately. It doesn't take root. It's washed away with times of testing and trial. I mean, I know how that works. Because sometimes, you know, something is preached or talked about when it comes to a very practical life decision. And, and sometimes I can just see it in your eyes. Sometimes I see it in your actions. And I don't know for certain, but I know the battles. I, I, I go through the same, the same battles. And, and, and it, sometimes when everything is presented, even in hope, you're going, I, I don't see my, myself being able to make those changes. I just can't see it. And we, make, we come up with a million different excuses. And all I hear is the bird's wings. Fluff, 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 fluff. Snatch the word. Gone. Our worship of Jesus. When, when the disciples said, Lord, we're going to follow you anywhere, that was tested, wasn't it? <laughs> Only one of 12 went with him. You know, my pastor reminded me of that one day when I called him. I said, Michael, I said, I'm just really battling here. I said, you know, I know what God has called me to do. I'm fighting against culture. I'm coming up against things. And you call, and Andrew and I had this prophecy that we were going to be culture breakers, that we're going to be moving. And I was just saying, Michael, he said, David, only one of 12 followed. And I thought, that's not a very nice percentage. And he said, well, that was Jesus, too. <laughs> and he had three years. And I've been here, I think, almost 13. I sure hope I got more than one of 12. No, I'm just kidding. But the truth is, our, our, our heart to follow Jesus is tested. Our worship is really tested. Secondly, an area where we're tested is our loyalty. Are we submissive? We come back so we say, Lord, I submit. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Whew, the moment those words come out of our mouth, God begins to prepare the test. He prepares it. And it's good. Because only those things which come with testing and the refiner's fire stand the test. They have that shine, that glow of, of God's work. Galatians 6.4 says, Each one should test his own actions. 
then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. See, our loyalty to God, we have to make a choice on the inside. We have to test ourselves. We have to test our true motives. We can't be loyal to God without being loyal to our brothers and sisters, and that is the testing ground. That is the testing ground. Jesus said, be submissive to one another. We can say, I submit only to God, but I'm not going to submit to other believers. I'm sorry that that's not good enough. That's not, you haven't passed the test. Because love, Jesus said, look, you will, they will know you're Christians by the love that you have for one another. Your ability to submit to one another, your ability, ability to listen and allow them to teach you, to feed you, to wash your feet, to lead you in some cases. But sometimes we, we have a very, a very, well, maybe it's a large list, but I was going to say a very small window of people that we would ever trust to speak into our lives that way. You know, I know a lot of pastors who are not being pastored. I got three. That's what it takes for me. But each of them have a unique place in my life. I've got a grandfather, I've got a brother, and then I've got a father. Each of them have a unique place into my life. My grandfather calls me once a month or once every six months. And he wrote a book, as a matter of fact, I brought it up here. It's called Doing Life With. He's not written a lot of books, but this is his seminal work, and we actually carry it in the bookstore now because he just wrote it. He's planted over five or six churches. He's traveled the world, and... He's an amazing man, and I am so grateful to have him in my life, and he pursues me, and he asks me the hard questions. David, where are you surrendering to God? What is God doing right now in you? And there's no hiding from it, because he knows when I'm, well, I mean, you know, and you start to stumble over your words, he starts pressing in. All right, David, I've known, I mean, I know better than to try to, but submission Surrender is going to be tested. Our loyalty to one another. Boy, for parents, are we helping our kids understand what loyalty is through example and loving teaching? One of the things that I think the church, what we need to do is teach and exemplify what loyalty is. In other words, that we can't, we, we need to squash gossip, gossip as soon as it comes out. We need to squash people that are talking about coups in the spirit. We need to squash all that kind of stuff because that stuff comes of selfishness. That, that, that's, a, that's the devil, devil whispering into an individual's ear. And you've got to love them enough to stop that mess, to speak into their life and say, that's going nowhere fast, my friend. If you're upset... If you're frustrated, if your feathers are ruffled, there's a reason. There's a reason. God is after something in you. He is absolutely going for it. He's going, and, and it's just like when we say that, Lord, just hallelujah, just change me. Lord, you know, I mean, I just give you my life. Come in there and wherever there's this stuff. Well, he goes, okay, <laughs> I'm going right after it. And it goes for our, our, our attitudes. He goes for our preferences that we put forth as convictions. He goes after the things that, you know, we like to be a little bit, you know, finicky about. And sometimes even more than finicky. But it's going to be tested. 
Don't be surprised when you start down the Calvary Road that God begins to go right after relationships when you're in your life. That your marriage is, the heat is placed on your marriage. That the heat is placed on your closest friends. That your, the heat is placed on your, your, your closest friendships. The heat is placed on the people that you look to in authority. Wow. And you know, an authority is one of those areas that I believe is tested over and over again. You know, sometimes we've got to do things, whether we like it or not, for the purpose of keeping unity. Number three, our motives are going to be tested. Are we led by selfishness or servanthood? What's in it for me is what is really at deep, 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 deep in our DNA, in our, in our wiring. That's got to be gotten after. John 6, 5, and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great cloud, a crowd sorry, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Oh, man, Jesus. Look at him. So you know what he knows what's going to happen. <laughs> he, he, he knows what he's going to do. He, he knows this is one of those miracles. He probably woke up in the morning, and as he was checking in with the Father, and the Father said, okay, this is what we're going to do today. So Jesus knew. So he looks to Peter, and he tests Peter's, I'm not Peter. Um, who is it? It's Philip. Say, thank you. Philip. He tests Philip's heart, and he says, Philip, what should we do? How are we going to feed all these guys? And man, is just floating out there. And of course, we know where Philip goes. And he's just like, I have no clue. I mean, I think we need to send him away. Just go ahead and slap some healing on him, Lord, and send him on their way. And Jesus, it took the opportunity to say, come on, guys. Let's, your faith only goes that deep. If, if you've already said I'm the Messiah, if you've already seen some of the miracles that I've done, I mean, can you not see... I mean, you, obviously, your ability to, your faith has not extended as far. You don't see me as the Lord. You don't see me as the God who can do anything yet. You're still limited by your own selfish motives because immediately, I'm sure he was thinking, well, Lord, I don't know about them, but I know we got enough. Feed us tonight. So do we despair or do we trust that God has a solution? And it's going to be tested. Our motives will be tested. That is the hardest one I have found as a believer. Man, that is the hardest one. Because remember, I've already told you before that the greatest deception is self-deception. And we can talk ourselves into such a spiritual, you know, tangle of ideas and thoughts and philosophies that we hold into. And, and it's amazing. I have conversations with people all the time. And, and I do it myself. And we always want to tell people how we're made, how we're formed, how we think. And this is why we are who we are. And we don't realize that the, the subconscious thing we're doing is we're trying to make an excuse. If you see anything weakness any, or, or strength that you misunderstand about me, this is why I'm who I am. I think if we really continue to let the testing go on, we're going to talk less about ourselves and more about him. That the conversation, and I'd, I'd hate to be navel-gazing, and I'm not you know, slapping anybody's hand. I mean, we, it, this is encouraging us. This is pushing us forward discipleship. But our conversation should be more like, you know, I'm a mess. <laughs> and in the course of time, you're going to see that mess. But the truth is, i got a Savior, and he's helping me. And if so, if you see anything good out of, out of me, whew, it's because of him. If I happen to get a good attitude on a given day, thank God. 
Because it wasn't anything I generated. You know what I'm saying? Well, sometimes it was a simple choice. You wake up before, you know, it gets going on. Your favorite football team loses. And you want to break something. Uh, but then you just say, you know what? Man, what? I mean, I'm saved and going to heaven. And sometimes I remember Michael, my, you know, my brother pastor. He, uh, he, he says that. He'll just say, look, I don't care what's going on, but I'm saved and going to heaven. And that really pretty much trumps it all, doesn't it? Maybe I shouldn't have used that word. But anyway, let's move on. All right. Let's move on to number four. All right. But let me make this one point, this last one and that last point. We should view times of struggle as an opportunity for God to do a miracle. Okay? So when our motives are tested and they get thrown out there, don't just say, okay, I've given up. I mean, I'm a mess. I can't change. I'm never going to change. And then just leave. Stop going to church. Stop being Christian. Go to the bars. Hang out. Just sit and watch TV and do whatever. Don't do that. If you've been exposed, if your motives are exposed, man, rejoice. Because God has showed interest in you. God has shown that he's not going to let you go on and be who you are. He loves you too much. He's going to call you out. But not to expose you, embarrass you, but he's going to call you out because he loves you so much and he wants you to change. And you're not going to do the change. He's going to do the change. All I have to do is to say, oh, you got me. Lord, help me. And he's like, certainly. Our unity. We've already talked about unity as a step, but this, as, but this is going to be tested. Trust in God who often tests our hearts for unforgiveness, resentment, lust, pride, and self-sufficiency. He's going to go in there. And thank God we're not in the testing mode all the time. Because it's almost like there's a kind of a season of testing and then God you know, backs off and lets us you know, grow. <laughs> lets us breathe. But look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do you know the world has a pattern? Do you know that there's a culture that is anti-Christ. And it's funny, everybody talks about the person. Yeah, there's a person coming called the Antichrist, but we're told in the Bible that there's an Antichrist spirit. And it's here. And it's alive and well. And if you can't see it, then my friend, Lord help you. Because it is so completely clear and out there. It's not subliminal anymore. It's not under the water anymore. It is in plain sight. When people say, you got to get rid of Jesus. When people say, you Christians, nothing gives me more, and this is a quote, nothing gives me more joy than to watch Christians squirm and having to pay for abortions. <laughs> and I just say, Lord, that is an antichrist spirit. Anything that would force Christians to have to suffer, to do something wicked, is an antichrist spirit. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember I told you last week, you can't go where the word isn't in you. We need more word. And it gets into our mind. We grow in the image of Christ through the knowledge of him, Knowledge of his ways, we've got to have more word in us, and we need more word. 
but it'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know what that is? Look, if you're making poor choices, then you need to start with how much of the pattern of the, of the world is in you and read the Bible and get word inside you. Let your mind be transformed. And then when that goes on, then you just begin to act out of what you know. I mean, this is something observable in every discipline, in every science, isn't that right, doctor? In every athlete to learn this, we all learn this. The more we know about our discipline, the more we know about what, and so just apply that all to Jesus. The more we become experts in the way of Christ, we will just start acting completely, you know, just muscle memory. <laughs> It'll just come out of us. That's what he's saying. And then you're going to be able to test his good, pleasing, perfect will. Do we know how to do that? What's shocking to me is our days when people who call themselves Christians live in direct violation to Scripture. And in some cases, it's because they don't know it. But in a lot of cases, it's that they just don't believe it. And to me, that's the scariest. That's the scariest part. God's Word is a true tester by the Holy Spirit. We'll avoid a whole lot of pain if we can get the test from the Word first. So we read the Bible, and the word convicts our heart. And we stop and say, Lord, I say yes and amen to your word. I want to receive that into my mind right now. I don't want to just chew it. I want to swallow it. I want it to get into my inmost parts. I say yes to your truth. Not only is Jesus Lord, but I'm supposed to love my fellow man. I'm not supposed to hate and be bitter. I'm not supposed to be lustful, proud, arrogant, bitter. I'm not supposed to walk in idolatry, misplaced priorities. I'm supposed to live in a different way. If, you're, if you don't look somewhat weird to your neighbors, then I challenge you. Truly, I do. I challenge you. Like the litmus test, our hearts turn blue if we have selfish motive, but red when our passion comes from a genuine heart to serve God and not deceive or to manipulate others. So in unity, that is our unity is going to be tested in our ability to flow with the church, to flow and not flow with them. So there's a, what is happening is the more we follow Christ down this line, the more we should find ourselves on the trail of true disciples. If the people that are surrounding you are people that don't have a heart for God or they're pulling you off this path, then you're being unified with the wrong people. And that's pretty clear, pretty, pretty important. Finally, our resilience is going to be tested or our perseverance. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, become mature and complete, not looking, lacking anything. Boy, that's a good promise, isn't it? It is through lack and struggle that we really do grow and what we need to serve him. I'm telling you, and get what we need to serve him. Look, our don't fight against struggle and pain. Last week I said this, and man, you could have heard a pin drop. I can't, I, I mean, I can't, I, I mean, I got to say I enjoyed that, to be honest. But that was when I said that we fight against pain. 
that we've become a, pain, a, a society of people who don't like pain. I think th- there's some truth in that. Now, thank God for things that, you know, like Advil and Motrin and, you know, and all those kind of things. I mean, thank God for those things that we can enjoy that help do make our lives better. But we've got to be careful that we can fall into this, I just got to medicate it and make it go away because pain is trying to tell us something. And when our spirit is going through, our soul is in anguish, it's trying to tell us something. Don't just take a pill. Go to Jesus. Why am I in pain right now? Why am I suffering? And what are some of the pains we experience? Loneliness, struggle, all kinds of things that become, you know, come to the surface that can really cause us, you know, to pull away. But God is saying, I'm, I'm building perseverance in you. Sometimes it starts with, and more so often, it starts with the little battles, little relationship struggles, a little bit of conflict here and there, a little testing. It comes when a, a doctor's report comes that's not exactly the way you'd like it to see. Or, or maybe fa- what your money situation comes up and you get to a month where you say, you know what, honey, I don't know if we can afford to tithe this month. When really you should say, we can't afford not to tithe, honey. Because if we give in to this thing, then how small is our strength? I mean, the little tests come to build us, to make us warriors. And, you know, I really believe that's why tithing is such an incredible spiritual discipline because it's, it's really baby steps. It's, I'm, I want to be honest with you. Tithing is not advanced Christianity. It's not 401. It's 101. And I'm telling you if, you, if you don't get that, then a lot of the other challenges, a lot of other things that come your way are just going to bowl you over because the, the resilience, that perseverance has not really been tested the way it really shows. One has to purely trust God when it comes to pr- provision and walk in the realm of the Spirit in giving and reap in the realm of the Spirit and the natural as well. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I see that, that crown being here and there, a crown here of blessing. When you walk around, people look at your life and say, they don't say, hey, man, you got a crown on your head, but they see blessing on your life. That's a crown. They won't call it a crown, but they just see something on you. They see, I don't know, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be royalty, but it's going to be favor. And I wonder sometimes, when people see that favor, what does it do? Well, for those who know what favor is, they praise God. Those who don't know what favor is, they hate them. And isn't that where jealousy sometimes comes from? You know, I'm going to throw this in. Historically, you know, Jews were considered God's favored people. It's going to get into your stuff. And God says, I will bless those who bless them, and I will curse those who curse them. And it hasn't changed. God's favor is upon them. I wonder if that's a crown in some ways, that when people look at that and they've seen their favor, my gosh, I mean, there are so many conspiracy theories created and the stuff and the anti-Semitism that comes out of that. Don't you dare get caught up in that. And I think sometimes we do. But isn't that the same spirit that causes us to hate the blessing and favor of God? And will we not reap it if we keep sowing that? I wonder. 
Job 7, 17 through 20. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? You hear Job's heart crying out to God. Why are you testing me this way? I mean, isn't there anybody else you want to pick on for a while? You ever feel like that? Or it's just like, Lord, I mean, come on. I think I'm done for a little while. <laughs> You've peeled, you know, my flesh away, you know, pretty deep. I need to heal. But the answer is pretty simple. Because he loves us. That's why he tests us. That's why he brings the heat on. That's why he exposes sometimes our motives, exposes our, unit, our disunity, he exposes our flesh. When it, you know, it's the dross that comes at the top, and he's bringing the heat. It's not because he doesn't like you or that he's punishing you for your sins. It's because he does love, he loves you so much. He loves us because he loves us, and that's what good daddies do. They watch, they correct. They protect. They bless. And see, sometimes we don't see the protection. Sometimes when I tell my son, no, you can't do that, it's because I love him and, and I'm trying to protect him. But he doesn't understand that, does he? He's just like, I want to do what I want to do. And that's just like adult Christians. I just want it. I just want it now. I just want to do what I want to do. But we're professional. We're grown-up whiners. God help us. But because he loves us, he's going to correct us. He's going to step across and hold us back. And we feel that's uncomfortable, God's big old hand coming across us and holding us back. We're like, what'd you do that for? Save your life. Oh. And the problem is God doesn't, we don't, like with the Father, we can, we can kind of sort that out. But at the same time, we've got to assume that. Our assumption should be that God loves us. Psalm 139, that he loves us. Where can we flee from his presence? Because he loves us so much, he's not going to let us go. So that's the answer to Job's question. He wants to bless us. So, in our pathway, we're taking that step of brokenness, of mission separation, unity, and then testing. All of this is going to be tested. You probably have been going through testing. I mean, this is not like I say, on your mark, get set. Okay, enjoy your week of testing. Thank God for that, right? I mean, not for that. No, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In these days, Christians were being tested in our loyalty to one another our love for God, our worship, our pure worship, our convictions. It's being tested. And in some ways, what, the, the, what it comes out is what God wants to also do is kind of pull back the, um, the screen and sometimes show us. That's a little scary, but can I just throw it out there? Sometimes God shows us the consequence of our decisions and our life path. It's a little overwhelming sometimes. But God is ready to just receive us as we run into his arms. He says, I've got this. I died for your sin. Don't worry about that. I just need you to run back to me and let's deal with this. Let's, let's get you fixed up. 
So this morning, I want to pray for you, pray for us, because next week, we're going to talk about servanthood. We're going to talk about what that is, where we're headed, <laughs> what we're going to be doing, and how that's going to just bring such incredible blessing into our life. So let's stand up this morning, and let's finish. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's come to him the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it, and he's continuing to hone it, to sand us down, to put the finer detail that will just continue in all the days we live on this earth. But isn't it awesome to think that the moment we close our eyes for the last time and then we open them seeing Jesus, it says that we'll be complete, done. What is that going to feel like? But Lord, right now, God, we're here. Jesus, you told us that if we're to follow you, we had to deny ourselves. And Lord, that's hard. Because the dichotomy is that we're also called to love ourselves. But I think the confusion is wiped away when we know in denying ourselves, we do show ourselves love because we know what it's going to produce. It's going to produce greater fruitfulness, greater joy, a greater self-awareness, a greater ability to not let those things get in our craw, to control us, to not give foothold to the enemy, to bind up our minds with all kinds of lies and confusions. So, Lord, we come to you right now, all across this room. Lord, we put our hope and faith in you. If I could have our prayer teams quietly come to the front. Lord, we just lay down our lives right now. And, Lord, we want to submit to this testing. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us see what it is when it begins, because that is incredibly helpful for a number of reasons. But, number one, Lord, that we would submit to it and not fight against you. Lord, if you're turning up the heat in our lives, God, it's for a reason. To purify our faith. To run to you. To surrender to you quickly and without fail. And Lord, wherever you bring that up in our lives, God, whatever, if it's in our relationships, and if it's in our workplace, if it's, Lord, in the, in the attitudes of our own heart, God, may we surrender quickly. Would you help us? God, you cause us to will and to do of your good pleasure. So we invite the working of the Holy Spirit in us. We want to cooperate. We want to flow. We want to be in partnership with you for our own betterment. And we thank you for that, that you're committed to it, and you love us so much that you're going to do it. So, Lord, we thank you. Bless us. Keep us, God. Would you make your face shine upon us now? In Jesus' name.